Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. It's awesome. It is cool. Our mission today at, you know, in the next few minutes is to hear the word that God has for us through Pastor Chip. He's got a great message today. I'm going to read the scripture he's going to be preaching from. It's Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Let's hear these words from God. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, hearing, receiving, and living out of his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Look around you. There's so much work to do. This world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch there is a tangible desperate need for Jesus a glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness Jesus experienced this he saw it firsthand the need broke his heart and filled him with compassion He turned to his disciples and said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
This alone should stir our hearts. It's a calling. A calling to make a difference. To share the truth of the gospel. To be a light in the darkness. To be the church. It's time for us to look beyond ourselves. To turn our focus to the field. To answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Are you ready to do the work? All right, are you ready to do the work? Jonah thought he was. (laughs) Didn't actually turn out so well for him. I'm going to do the work today. I'm going to go out to the Soak Fest, and I'm going to wear a bathing suit. What's so funny about that? I will have a shirt on. Trust me. I am. Um, The reason I'm doing that, I'm not going to go down the 40-foot water slide, but Scott told me that there's going to be youth with water balloons, and I've seen this movie. When they find out you're the lead pastor, it's going to happen. So I will be prepared for that. And I hope, honestly, by the end of this message, not you'll want to be there or not there, but you'll want to be at things like that too, and we'll learn from Jonah. Jonah's left a mark on me. He really has. This is the most, uh, the deepest dive I've ever taken into the story, the book of Jonah. Myself, Pastor Steve, Pastor Scott, Pastor Terry, next week, we've, we've all dug really deep in this story and to the point where uh, we'll, we'll be sitting at a staff meeting or something, we'll look at each other and go, Jonah, man, <laughs> Jonah. And if you know anything about Jonah, um, as I preached on this, this is the only prophecy we have that's told in story form. In literary works, it's called narrative form. Most of the prophecies are God speaks, calls the prophet, speaks through the prophet. And the prophet, like, is not part of the story anymore. They're just the vessel. But in Jonah, Jonah is the story. He's the character in the story. We're to identify with Jonah, and that's where it leaves the mark. Because I've discovered there's a Jonah in me. And I'm going to contend there's probably one in you. And we sometimes have to look in the mirror to see him peeking out from behind the dark side, right, in all of us. Now, let's just review the story of Jonah. We're at the last chapter. Pastor Terry's going to kind of bridge us next week to our, our next series, but we're at the final chapter of Jonah, and it's really only at the end of the story do we understand what the story is finally really about. And, and here's how it goes. You know, Jonah calls, God calls Jonah uh, in Israel. He's an Israelite. He's kind of a nationalist. He's, he's in the pocket of the king of Israel. And God says, look, I want you to preach, but I don't want you to just preach here where you're comfortable. I want you to go to Syria. You know that country that hates you? I don't just want you to go to Syria. I want you to go to Nineveh, its capital, and I want you to preach there. And Jonah tells God, thank you, no thank you. And he heads in the opposite direction. He flees, the Bible says, to Tarshish, right? Uh, Now, I've tried to explain to you geographically, that's literally 180 degrees in the opposite direction. It would be like if God said to you, you know, Route 90 runs east and west. If you're worshiping with us in Texas or Florida, and some of you are, 90 is a highway that goes right around Lake Erie, east to west. It would be like God saying, I want you to go to Erie, PA, and you said, no, thank you, I'm going to Toledo. 
That's literally geographically where Jonah goes, in the absolute opposite direction of his call. So God sends a storm, you know the story, sends a big fish, uh, swallows up Jonah and spits him up on dry land. Can you imagine Jonah, he's lived through a hurricane, he's beaten up, he's been in the mouth of a whale like that poor lobster fisherman out there in uh, Cape Cod, and he's on the beach, and then God shows up and goes, how's your rebellion going, Jonah? How's it working out for you? I want you to go to Nineveh. So Jonah goes, and he's extremely reluctant. He doesn't want to go. He hates those people. But he goes, he does the minimal amount of work, as Scott preached on a couple weeks ago. And uh, look what happens. Here's what happens in chapter 3. It says, after Jonah preaches this little tiny sermon for people he doesn't want to go, the king of Syria, the king of Nineveh, the king, he puts an edict out, and he says this, human beings and animals, now hear this, shall be covered with sackcloth. That was always a sign of mourning and repentance and prayer. And they shall cry mightily to God, not to any God, not to the Syrian gods. This is the Yahweh. This is the God of Israel, the one true God. All shall turn. That's an image of repent. Repent means to turn. From their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. This is big news. You know, we said Jonah's a minor prophet, and that's only basically because of length. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, the major prophets, they're just the longest. And then you've got these minor prophets. Jonah's isn't minor in the history of things. Jonah's the only successful prophet. He's the only one that preaches and everybody listens. Jesus didn't get that kind of reception. He went into Jerusalem. What did he say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times I wanted to gather you up. Like a mother hand gathered up her young, but you wouldn't come. That's Jerusalem. That's where people know the Bible. They know God. They, they know Scripture. Jonah's out here. He's out in Paganville, man. People don't know God. They don't know the Scriptures. They don't know the songs. They don't give a rip. And the, ha- the whole city repents. This would be like breaking news. Israel and Hamas are no longer going to fire missiles at one another. And the architect of this peace deal is Jonah! He's up for a Nobel Peace Prize. This, this is the apex of his prophetic career. This is the thing prophets dream about. And how does he respond to it? What did verse 1 say? But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. And we're left with this deep theological question. Huh? What's going on here? You just achieved what no prophet has achieved. And this is how you're, what's going on? And it gets worse. The next verse is he cries out to God and he says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Hang on to that one. We're going to get back to it. That is why I fled. And we said the word flee in Hebrew is always leaving a relationship. This is why I left a relationship with you and I took off in the opposite direction from the being. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That word there in the Hebrew is hesed. It means pursuing love. You're a God that pursues us with love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me for it's better for me to die than to live. What is up, Jonah? What's going on here? Jonah is having a problem with the love of God. Now, all of us say we believe in love, but it's kind of superficial, right? Jonah does not like the way God loves. He basically says, I don't understand your love. 
This is a violent city. They've done murderous deeds. They've done bad things. And yet you forgive them. If that's the kind of love that you have, God, I don't want to live in a world like that. So Jonah's saying, right? And, 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 and God is saying to him, I love the old King James. Is it well for you to be angry, Jonah? You're waking up in the morning ready to smile, or is this, is this where you want to, this is kind of the disposition you want to live in, right? And so we learn in this story, every story has a protagonist and an antagonist, right? You learned that in English. What is protagonist? It means one who agonizes for the good, for the pro. And the antagonist is the antagonist. They're against the good. And who's the protagonist? You heard me say in the very beginning of the story, we call this Jonah and the whale. That's how I grew up knowing it. That's how the world knows it. That's a terrible title. One, whale is never used in the story, just big fish. And two, the big fish is only in the story for seven verses. You heard me say at the beginning, God, Yahweh, the personal God, 39 verses out of 44. We should refer to this story as the story of Jonah and the Lord. And who's the protagonist? Who's agonizing for good? God says, Jonah, should I not be concerned? That's a terrible translation, actually, in English. That word that's used for concern, it's such a rich, deep Hebrew word. It means to have compassion for, to feel pity for, to love to the point of weeping over. You remember a prophet that wept over Jerusalem? Jonah, should I not have love? For this great city, that's the, God is the protagonist. He's agonizing for good. And Jonah is the anti-agonist. He's working against this program. And who does Jonah represent? You're going to squirm in your seat a little bit. I, I did when I realized this. Jonah represents all the religious, moral, good people who believe in God, who go to church every Sunday, who follow the Ten Commandments and give to the poor, but don't want anything to do with different people. That's, that's who they are. That's who Jonah represents. And that's why we're to see the Jonah in us. This story is finally about God's love for a big, unbelieving, violent, unjust, pagan city and the prophet's desire to have nothing to do with it. So I'm going to say to you today that God is nurturing for us uh, should we not have love for the city. Three things I'm going to say. God's call to the city. God's view of the city. And finally, God's love for the city. Now, when I say city here, I don't want you to just think greater Cleveland, even though, sorry, wherever you're worshiping with us, we are in the greatest city in the world. Just kidding. Um, I don't want you to just think, or whatever city you happen to be in as you're worshiping with us online today. Don't, of course, think of that, but not just that. I want you to think of the city as people. Jonah, should I not have love for 120,000 people? You got love for a bush. Right? And he's saying that. And so I want you to see that when I talk about city, we're called to go to people and called to go to diverse people. People who aren't just like us. See, when you live in a village, have you ever noticed villages are kind of homogeneous? But you get to a city, man. <laughs> I just came back from New Orleans. I'll say that more about that in a minute. You're with everybody. Right? And so first, God's call to the city. Right? God, God three times calls Jonah to the city, not to send missionaries, not to take up an offering for, you know, uh, people in hurting places. Jonah, I want you to physically go. 
I want you to go there. I want you to be there. And in chapter 4, I don't want you to just go there. I want you to love the people that are there. I want you to have that compassion on them like I do. God is calling Jonah out of his little comfortable safe place where everybody looks like him and believes like him to go to love people. And he's calling us to do that too. And you're going to say, okay, Chip, come on. That, this is Jonah's call. It's not my call. God called the prophet to go. Really? Three centuries later, the whole nation of Israel, who began to refer to themselves as Jonah, by the way, and Jesus said, no sign will be given to you religious people except the sign of Jonah. So there's something really important in this story for Jesus to say that. But three centuries later, Israel is going to be taken into captivity by the big power of that day and age, and Babylonia. And they're taken into the Babylonia, and the big city at that time was in Nineveh. It was Babylon. And the people did not want anything to do with Babylon. They said, well, they may have us here, but we're going to camp out by the river Shabar, and we're not going to be polluted by the immoral and corruption of that city. We're going to stay away from that, and we'll live out here and say our prayers and read our Bibles and everything else. And in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah writes a letter to them. He's in Jerusalem, and he's saying, what you're doing is not of God. I want you to go into the city. I want you to build houses in the city. I want you to make the city your city. I want you to marry people from that city. I want you to raise your children in that place. I want you to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to seek the shalom of the city so that as it prospers, you prosper. God is always calling us to go to the city, to people. Why? Two reasons. One's a head reason. One's a heart reason. The head reason is it's strategic. If we have this precious message of the gospel... Something that we believe is a solution for the problems of the world. Not just fire insurance that we go to heaven someday. That's not the gospel. The gospel that we're all broken, common brokenness. We're more wicked than we ever knew we were. But at the same time, more loved than we ever dared dream. And that, if people know that, will begin to heal divisions and, and create community and create shalom and peace. And if we're entrusted to that message and we got that kind of treasure, are we supposed to go to some little comfortable, convenient corner of the world? No, you go where the people are. You go to the city. Because the truth is, as the cities go, so goes the culture. You know that. I mean, it's, it's wonderful in the village, like Pepper Pike. But what's more influential in moving the culture, Pepper Pike or New York City? Right? Los Angeles. You know, in the village, you reach the artist. In the city, you reach the art culture. In the village, you reach the lawyer. In the city, you reach the legal profession. And that's why Paul and the early apostles, they were known as urbanites. Because they went to the city. And by 300 AD, 50% of the cities in the Roman Empire were Christian. Because they knew that's a way to make it go viral. In fact, the word paganos, where we get the word pagan, was people that lived in the country. Now, does that mean God loves the people in the city more than the country? No, it's just God loves people and there's more of them. And God loves all of us individually. But he's trying to reach the world. That's the head reason. Here's the heart reason. Jonah, should I not have love for 120,000 people? And, and you know what God's saying to Jonah? Do you even see them, Jonah? Are they even people to you? Right? And Jonah's questioning God's love, and God questions Jonah's love. And says, you know, these 120,000 people. You know, I, 
this, I have a heart for people. Do you ever notice, you remember when we used to buy calendars and hang them on the wall? You remember that? Some millennials are going, what? Like, but we used to do that. I know it's kind of silly. Nobody, I don't, anybody still buy calendars? Oh gosh, there's like six of you in here. Wow. Um, do you have an iPhone too? I'm just kidding. Um, but we used to take calendars and they had pictures on them and we'd hang them on the wall. Do you ever notice calendars never have people? If they do, they're not dressed very well. But they always have what? Like animals, or they got mountains, or they got rivers or oceans, right? Do you know if God had a calendar, you know what would be on it? Subway cars, chock full of people. Rush hour. Crowds. Why? Because the most precious thing in God's sight is, is, is us. People created in God's own image. The only thing in creation God said is very good. Do you see that? Terry and I just got back from New Orleans. First time we ever went there, went on a vacation. We need a vacation. My God, after these last 15 months, I need a vacation. We went down to New Orleans. I had two epiphanies, two epiphanies. Um, The first one is the food. (laughs) You've been in New Orleans, anybody? You're with us in New Orleans. If you're in New Orleans online, shout out to Pastor Kurt. My God, you guys can cook. The food. I mean, I ate everything. Like everything on the menu. I had worked so hard. I got to go back at it. Because you couldn't stop eating. In fact, a waiter came over to me and said, hey, you know why we call this the Big Easy? I said, no. He said, because you can get big easy. <laughs> True story. I was eating everything, man. And the flavors were exploding. My taste buds are like, what is that? What is that? What is that? It was like crazy. All these flavors. And I, and I had my epiphany. I thought about, why is it that? Why is, why is that? Because before there was Minneapolis, before there was Toronto, before the Civil War, there was New Orleans. People of every tongue, tribe, nation, and you. Southern whites, African slaves, African freed people, Choctaw Indians, French, Spanish, Haitian, and all of that, all that diversity, all of that 120,000 people that Jonah didn't want to be a part of and want to live under his little safe little bush, his own country. All of that comes together and all of that influences, man, it was exploding in my mouth. How many of you know homogeneity is so boring? It's, it's wonder bread. It's bland. But when you get out there with all the people, you experience what Paul says in Ephesians, the manifold wisdom of God now made known. And that word manifold meant multicolored. God says, taste and see that I am good. And you're not going to taste it if you're always hanging around people who look like you and believe like you and act like you. Get out there and love the city, Joe. That was my first epiphany. My second one was this. This one doesn't involve food. I got a corner over here, man. My second epiphany was that since, since we've been talking about this renaissance of reconciliation, the vision team has told us that. How am I loving my neighbor the way God loves him? You know, I've, I've asked God to do something. Expand my peripheral vision. Long time ago, I was a Division I point guard, and peripheral vision is important to you. You have to see the floor. But I've asked God, help me see people. Because I think there's been people I just haven't seen. And so Terry and I, we were going to New Orleans. We didn't want to do ministry. We didn't want to think about church. We love you all, but we just wanted to clear our minds. But we did pray on our way down, God, help us see people. Help us see people. I didn't go to New Orleans to do homeless ministry. I didn't go to New Orleans to do Uber ministry. But that's what Terry and I found ourselves in the middle of. 
because we're walking down the streets and we're not going to, we, we make eye contact with the homeless, much more prevalent in southern climate cultures, we know. And when you make eye culture, people talk to you, right? Um, and I, one, one day a young man walked up to Terry and I come out of our Airbnb. She saw, we smiled at him, so he comes over to talk to us. He said, I just got out of the hospital. I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that, but that's good news. He said, yeah, but Mike's still in the hospital. I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm with, I'll pray about that. He said, I love Mike. And when the Holy Spirit just speaks to you, I said, I love Mike too. He said, you know Mike? I said, you bet I do. And he walked away. He knows Mike. Now, was I lying? No. Because when you see the city, you know Mike. Even if you've never met Mike. And you love Mike. We, got, we took seven Uber rides in New Orleans. We ended up praying with five of the Uber drivers. Some of you know me. I'm better in front of crowds than I am one-on-one. I'm a little shy. But we're just praying with people. And I'm going to tell you, this woman that we prayed with at the end of our Uber stop, she, she burst into tears. And she took Terry and I's hands and she said, God put you two in my car today. Now... Okay, don't, no, you're going to give me the Nobel Peace Prize. You're going to make me Jonah again. Here's the deal. It's not because we're good people. It's because you see people. Jonah, do you see him? That's why God calls us to this city. So that we can see Mike and love Mike and know Mike. And extend and connect and deal with these horrible divisions of the world. Let me, let me, I got to hurry here. Secondly, God's view of the city. How does God look at the city, right? And this is one of those things. This kind of gets into the political arena or the theological arena. And do you ever know, like Jonah, we like, to, we like to put God into our box? Like Jonah didn't like how God was behaving because he knew how God was supposed to behave. He was supposed to love all the people he loved and hate all the people he hated. And God is not going to be put in a box. Have you learned that? The old, the old preachers used to say, your arms are too short to box with God. That's what Jonah found out. But he wanted Jonah in a box. And we do that too. If we're conservative or liberal or whatever our theology is, we want God to bless our little corners. But I love this. I've never seen this before. Um, who is God in this story? Is he a conservative? Is he a liberal? Is, at, the, at the beginning, it looks like he's, he's kind of a traditional conservative guy. I mean, he's thundering about the people's sin, fire, fire and brimstone. I'm going to give you 40 days to turn away from your wickedness. And if you don't turn away, I'm going to destroy you. Sounds, sounds kind of conservative theology, right? But then he turns into a flaming, bleeding heart liberal. Oh, I'll forgive everybody. He said, well, they repented, did they? Syria repented? This doesn't last. They didn't make any covenant with God. They didn't start worshiping the one true God. They didn't go to church. They didn't pray. They, they got violent again pretty soon. They went, in fact, in 722 BC, Syria marches in and destroys Jonah's country of northern Israel. And Jonah says, I am so sick of you acting like this. One little glance in your direction, God, and you love people. What's wrong with you, right? It's just one little half-hearted look. And I wrote this in my notes. I said, so which is it? Is God a conservative or liberal? Is he a God who is thundering, trying to get people to repent and convert, talking about their wickedness? Or is he a God concerned about the social system and willing to live and work with diverse people and listen to them? And the answer is, yes! And Jonah goes, do you see why Jonah couldn't put up with him? Can you? Can I? And that's how God views the city. Because God, and we, I got close with this. 
God has a love for the city. A great love for the city. Here's what we know. Jonah went outside the city that had spared him to condemn it. It said he's sitting outside the city. He doesn't want to be there. You heard Pastor Scott read it. It was a three-day walk across that city. Jonah only took one day, and he made sure his car doors were locked, and he got out of there as quick as he could. And here, after he preaches a message, everybody repents. He's outside the city again. And he's waiting to see what will happen to the city. And God says, look, you want me to nuke the city so you can sit cheering from the sidelines. Jonah left the city that spared him to condemn it. Jesus Christ, the true and greater Jonah, he said, he said a, a greater than Jonah is here, was dragged outside the city that condemned him, weeping for it, and was willing to die to save it. This Jesus Christ was God's love in the flesh. This is the greatest depiction of God's love. In fact, Hebrews says it this way. Uh, it, it, describing Jesus, but it called us. It said, therefore, Jesus also suffered where? Outside the city gate. In order to sanctify the people by his own blood. So let us then go to him. Outside our little camps. Right? And bear the abuse that he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we're looking forward to the city that is to come. When we understand John in Revelation, the end of Revelation, you remember that, 21, Revelation 21? He said, yeah, I looked up and I saw the city coming down to earth. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Your kingdom, your will, on earth as it is in heaven. Following Jesus is not a get out of hell free card. Following Jesus is a commitment to bring the great city into all the cities right? God is inviting Jonah to be part of his movement of love for the world. He's saying, Jonah, the cities of this world are based on power and self-centeredness, but I have a city. I have a kingdom that's based on love and service. Will you be part of that, Jonah? That's that's how this story, you hear God saying, do you love people? I love them. And what happens? Story ends. Oh, that bothers me. It's like when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, there was an elder brother had an attitude and the father went out to the older brother and said, look, we've got to celebrate. Your brother was dead. He's now alive. We, we have to celebrate. And the parable ends and we don't know if that older brother ever goes in or not. Right? Because Jesus is talking to you and to me. And that's where one scholar said it was as though God threw a spear at Jonah and Jonah got out of the way and it hit us. Will you be part of my movement to love the city? That's what God's asking. Jesus said, uh, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Will you go? Right? So that's one of the reasons this ends this way. It puts the burden on our backs. The other reason is, if Jonah can change, then we can change. And I believe Jonah changed. And you say, wait a minute, Chip. Where is that in the book? I, I, don't, I don't read it. I'll ask you this. How do we know the story? See, you, you know I talked about this as a, like a play in five parts, and there were really five actors in the whole story. Jonah, the Lord, the big fish, the pagan sailors, and the Ninevites. I don't think the big fish told the story. Just a thought. 
Secondly, the Ninevites and the, and the pagan sailors didn't tell this story because their writings wouldn't have made it into the Hebrew scriptures. So that leaves God and Jonah. Now, of course, God's telling the story, but what do we say about the Bible? It was written by men and women, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God did not hand, the, like the angel Gabriel said to have handed the Quran to Muhammad in written form. Uh, Joseph Smith dug up books of gold in the hills of New York, right, written by the hand of God. Uh, we don't say that. We say the same God that reached into the dust of creation, the same God that became flesh, moved and spoke and inspired and wouldn't even write his word in this world without us. And so here, who, who told this story? Jonah had to tell it. It's the only reason we know it. Now, who in the world admits to being an idiot like this? Who in the world says, yeah, I was a racist, religious bigot? Who says that? Who says, I was an absolute jerk? Only people who have accepted the gospel. That we're all broken, but that we're loved unconditionally, nonetheless. And only a person whose self-esteem is so secure in that that doesn't care what the world says about them, so long as they know what God says about them, that's someone who would give this testimony. And if Jonah can change, I can change. And if Jonah, this jerk, can repent, you can repent. We all can. There's a Jonah in all of us, friends, that wants to be right, be honest, and wants to be comfortable and God says to Jonah, see, there's a plant, there's a vine in that part of the world that actually grows overnight. Now here's Jonah with his sulking little attitude, and we're going to Israel again. You can sign up to go with us. Some people have gone with us. We're going again next year. But in that, there's a reason we go in February, because <laughs> you go in like August and you will melt, okay? And in 110, 120 degree heat out there, you can see why Jonah was pleased. He's got shade. He's got comfort. He's got this little place. And then it goes away and he's angry again. And what does God say? Jonah, you had compassion and love for this little thing for which you did not toil, for which you did not create. Shall I not have love for 120,000 people and many animals? Jonah, you're attached to the familiar. You love your garden, your golf game, your career, and your country more than you love me. Because if you love me, you'll see people. You'll go to people. Your views will change amongst diverse people. And you'll love who? Everyone who God loves. That, then, shows us that we're a follower of Christ, and that'll make us the best neighbors in the entire world. And Jesus said, when we do that, John 17, it will be so that the world will know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is really true. Jonah, come, elder brother, me, wherever you emerge in my heart, help me repent. Help me return to the love. That's why, you know, when Jesus said in Revelation, I'll close with this, I just came into my head. He says to the the church in Ephesians, uh, you have forgotten the love you had for me at first. 
People think that means, oh, they had abandoned Jesus. No, Jesus, if you read Ephesus, he says, you're going to church every Sunday, you're giving to the poor, you're, you're reading your Bible, you're saying your prayers, but you forgot this. It's called a, the love you had at first. It's a priori love. You forgot the love that when you received the love from me, you extended to others. Because the Ephesian church at that time was so divided. Don't lose the love that you had at first. Repent, return. And even the Jonah in you and me can be thrown out and we can have a new heart for the city. Amen?